This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson coming to you from Wiradjuri land, and this is The Full Story. I want each of you, the whole of our nation, to join me in this crusade to change children's lives. A decade ago, the Australian government attempted to fix the country's education system. Funding should recognise that children are individuals, not standardised widgets. The Gonski Review laid out a roadmap to reduce the impact of social and economic disadvantage on a child's education. But more than a decade later, government policy has had the opposite effect, with public schools being radically underfunded according to their need. Today, how the shift to private schooling is entrenching inequality in Australia. It's Wednesday, the 19th of July. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Gabs. How are you? Jordan, you and our education reporter, Caitlin Cassidy, have written a series of articles on private school education funding. I thought that Gonski was supposed to fix the disparity in this funding, but does your story say that it's failed? Yeah, so that's exactly what we've found, Gab. So we had access to some data which showed us that funding to private schools, so both independent and Catholic, has increased at almost double the rate in the decades since the Gonski Review was released in 2011. Jordan Beasley is a reporter for Guardian Australia. And so the reason for for having this review is because it found that we had public schools within our education system who were woefully underfunded and couldn't meet the needs of their students and that was having a negative impact on educational outcomes. Yet we find a decade later that we haven't made much improvement. So where does that leave public schools right now? Where that leaves public schools is not enough resources to meet the needs of their students. Teachers who say that they are incredibly overworked One parent we spoke to said the public school they went to couldn't afford things like pens and books 
And on top of that, we have a healthily funded private school system and we're seeing a drift in enrolments from the public school system to the private school. That in itself is creating an even further issue and an even further gulf within our education system between the haves and the have-nots. So you just mentioned that you've spoken to some parents. Did anyone tell you about why they made a decision to send their kids to private school, for example? So we spoke to Michael Jukes, who lives in Coffs Harbour and has two kids at school. A girl and a boy. Um, One is 12 and one is nine. So the boy is nine and the girl is 12. He decided a few years ago to make the switch from public school and sent his kids to private. Firstly, it was bullying, um, a problem that his two kids were facing. Yeah, the bullying was just through the roof. So it was, yeah. And we were only zoned for a certain amount of school. So we bit the bullet and decided to go private. And also one of his children has a learning difficulty. He was struggling and he was getting upset. And we really noticed it when we um, when we had to do home learning through COVID. And he felt like the school didn't have the resources to meet that need. Yeah, and it was really getting him down. His self-esteem was suffering. And he just felt he just felt stupid a lot. And there was no real help. There was no, yeah, the teacher was too busy dealing with the other. And that meant taking on a second job to actually afford the fees to send his kids there. So I do about 75 hours a week currently, which is great, which I really envisioned myself working 75 hours a week. It's awesome. I really enjoy it. Did the Dukes notice a change in the outcomes for their children once they switched from the public to the private school? Yeah, so Michael has described it as, you know, the difference as being night and day. Especially my son, his reading and writing just went through the roof. And just that general happiness when they started there, there was less bullying, less pressure. They felt like they could actually absorb the information the teachers were trying to give them. I think what's really interesting about this choice that he has made is that essentially he feels forced into making that choice because of the lack of resources to meet his kids' needs at the public school system. I'd happily work three jobs if it meant that they actually, they had a good start in life. He, he wanted to send his kids to public school. He didn't want to send them to private. For me and the wife, it was, there wasn't really any choice at all. It was, we just felt like we had to do it, but it would have been nice if there was an option where we could have, yeah, a happy medium between not so great public school and the super pricey, but private school. Happy medium would have been good, but yeah. To me, that's quite interesting because the sort of rationale that we get for why our education system is structured the way it is and how it is funded is to give parents more choice. But he doesn't sound like he necessarily had that choice. He was pushed into making that decision. It kind of annoys me, actually, the fact that your children's level of education is based on how much money you can afford. And yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's annoying that that's the case, but it's what it is. I mean, there's so much pressure on families to do the best for their children, right? How do they juggle those choices? Exactly. That's what experts have told us, that if parents feel like they're not getting the best for their kids, then they're going to do something about that. If parents have the money to pay to send their kids to private school, then what experts say is they will. And so what that does is it creates this self-fulfilling cycle. So parents lose faith in the public education system to deliver for their kids because of a lack of resources. Students leave, the funding declines. More students leave, more funding declines. And so that's the real worry here as we see this drift towards public schools. So documents released in June this year through freedom of information laws showed 
exactly what we're in for if we continue down this path. So it said that over the next six years, more than 1,000 private schools or 40% of Australia's non-government schools will be overfunded by $3.2 billion. So Jordan, we have underfunding of public schools, which is forcing parents into sending their kids to private schools. What do all these factors mean for Australia's students and their learning outcomes in public schools right now? So this growing division is a huge problem. So Australia actually has one of the most segregated school systems within the OECD. So how that segregation is appearing is that we have more disadvantaged kids within the public system and we have an overwhelming amount of advantaged kids within the private school system. And, you know, from the outset, obviously hearing that kids are being segregated along class lines is a bad thing, but it's actually even bad for the educational outcomes. So kids from high socioeconomic backgrounds, they'll on average perform well, no matter what classroom they're in. But if we had a school system that wasn't divided along class lines, so we had, you know, in each school a classroom that was more reflective of what the makeup of our community actually is, that would mean that all of our students would perform better. And do we know what impact this has on kids in regional areas and First Nations students? So for First Nations students, that segregation is actually a huge sticking point for the learning outcomes of those kids. So Michael Skiffer, an education expert at Murdoch University, actually says that white middle-class families are avoiding schools with high concentrations of Indigenous students and, and that ultimately leaves Indigenous students doubly segregated into both low SES schools and also by race. So we actually looked at this issue within Alice Springs, which actually has this segregation issue playing out across their public and private school system. So there are a lot more middle-class white families that attend the private school and a lot more of the Indigenous kids attend the public school. And when we go back to that issue of funding and funding according to need, you can see how this segregation creates, you know, not just an issue for social cohesion but also the educational outcomes of some of our most disadvantaged students because if they're not getting funding compared to where the sort of more wealthy upper-class families go, then, you know, ultimately we're not giving these kids a leg up from the start. But that's not to say that everyone we spoke to had a negative view of the public education system There are parents that we spoke to, such as Elliot Rich, who is a parent who lives in Alice Springs. Her child has just started year seven. They've always wanted to send their kids to a public school, have never thought about private school, and they just love it. Even though, you know, she admits the teachers are stressed, they're under-resourced, there is a lot that the system could be doing better for these kids. She sees public education as not only a way to have her kids achieve academically, but also get a more holistic education. So she sees the purpose of education rather than getting her kids into university and, you know, having a high-flying career after that. She wants them to come out as what she calls well-rounded human beings who have had these experiences with a diverse community that you can within a public education system and also, you know, be exposed to the types of things that you might not be afforded within a private school. Next, 
why public funding of private education is damaging future generations. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So before the break, you were telling us about how these inequalities in our education system is a nationwide issue. But what I still don't really understand, Jordan, is that Gonski was supposed to fix all this. Why hasn't it? The experts that we've spoken to have said it's not necessarily that the Gonski review itself failed. It's actually that the plan was sabotaged by successive governments. So we've seen this chipping away at it policy by policy, which has ultimately left us in the situation that we are today, where not only do we not have schools funded according to their need, we've also got still this divide between the public and the private education system. Okay, so which policies and which governments are we actually talking about here that have had the most impact? So I spoke to Trevor Cobbold, uh, who was the national convener of Save Our Schools, and, you know, he gave us a, a play-by-play, sort of a timeline of what he sees as these major policy failings, which ultimately saw Gonski not live up to what was planned. We're here today because education is at the centre of my vision for our nation's future. And the first that he outlined was this edict by Julia Gillard that no school would lose a dollar. We need to make sure that any new funding model is sustainable over time and fits within government budgets. So this meant even though that the review had found that many public schools were woefully underfunded, we also had private schools that were well and truly overfunded because no school was going to lose a dollar. It meant that it wasn't bridging this gap between the underfunded and the overfunded. The key facts to remember are that we inherited a mess from uh, the Labor Party when we took over. Uh, The next crucial failing was in 2014 when the Abbott government in that year's budget 
scrapped the biggest increases in school funding which had been agreed to under Gonski. We want to end the uncertainty uh, by guaranteeing that no school will be worse off. So those funding increases were planned for 2017 and 2018 and the bulk of that would have gone to public schools. Gonski 2.0, if you like. We can together change lives for the better. David Gonski first tried to change school lives for good. The next crucial issue was in 2017. So that was at the time the Turnbull government. The Prime Minister is promising to lift education spending by $2 billion. They actually capped the Commonwealth's funding to public schools. But 24 schools will lose money. And Labor says the New Deal represents a massive cut to the original Gonski plan. So they said, we're now only going to fund public schools by 20%. The other 80% is up to the states. Meanwhile, the Commonwealth will fund private schools at 80%. This is a landmark day for Australian schools. Making sure that these billions of dollars are translated into extraordinary outcomes. The issue that that has caused is the Commonwealth has far larger revenue-raising power than the state governments do. So the fact that the bulk of where their funding is going is towards private schools rather than public has sort of embedded this structural inequity in funding because the states just haven't lived up to that 80% and haven't been able to raise that revenue to healthily fund their public schools. Okay, so that was Gillard... Abbott, Turnbull, what about Morrison? In his first major policy overhaul since taking office, the Prime Minister's on the brink of settling a feud over Catholic school funding. Trevor says the final blow to funding schools according to their need came from the Morrison government. What we're doing is funding to support the choices of parents who want to educate their children in non-state schools. They negotiated a $4.6 billion increase in funding for Catholic schools over... 10 years, but no additional money for public schools. The funding deal has been welcomed by the Catholic education sector, but public and some wealthy private schools may not fare so well. And again, similar to Turnbull, Morrison said it's up to the state governments to fund schools. New South Wales has attacked the proposal as unfair, with Queensland and Victoria joining the fight. Scott Morrison is pushing ahead. But then Trevor Cobbold said the states haven't been delivering on that either. So what are the states saying, Jordan? Have they given any reason for why they haven't lived up to their part of the bargain? The president of the Australian Education Union, Karina Haythorpe, she said that putting this onus on the states to implement 80% of funding actually failed to adhere to the Gonski Review's recommendation that the Commonwealth should be the one to put in more, and that's due to its greater capacity to actually raise revenue. And a briefing that Caitlin and I were able to access from the education department, which they had prepared for witnesses appearing before Senate estimates, showed that the ACT, South Australia and Western Australia will only reach 75% of what their schools required to be funding according to their need, while the remaining states and territories will were also falling well short of the 100%. But most alarmingly on its current trajectory, it said that the Northern Territory will never reach this funding according to their need. So that's really alarming. Is reform possible? What do the experts that you've been speaking to say? 
Yeah, so reform is possible and thankfully there is some movement within the government to see this reform take place. So the government has launched a review into how Australia's education system is funded. But there are key things within that the experts say really need to be addressed so that we're not in this this same place we are 10 years from now. So Adrian Pickley, who's the former education minister in New South Wales, said that he thinks there shouldn't be this 20% cap on federal funding towards public education. And that means that given the states have limited capacity to raise revenue, it means that the Commonwealth is chipping in more to actually raise the gap between the most underfunded and overfunded schools. The second part to that is actually restoring parents' trust in the public education system. So one expert I spoke to, again, Michael Skiffer, who's an education expert at Murdoch University, he said that the narrative around public schools really has to shift from the top. So, you know, the government, he says, has historically not looked kindly upon public schools. And so we need to start to change that narrative in how we talk about public schools and what they can actually offer students. What happens if this doesn't change? What's at stake here? So what this would ultimately mean is kids not getting the resources they need to live up to their potential and entrenching inequality within the education system. And that's within this country who prides itself on giving Australians a fair go. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. That was Jordan Beasley, reporter for Guardian Australia. You can find Jordan and Caitlin's reporting on Australian education at theguardian.com. And we've also linked to their series, The Gutting of Gonski, on the Full Story page. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing by Tegan Nichols. The executive producers are Hannah Parks and Miles Martignoni. I'm Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 